scripture I'm reading today is uh, Matthew 5, 17, 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for just a heartfelt worship, God. To be able to sing at the top of my lungs, Lord, just shout out praises to you, God. Lord, we just ask that you would be with Chris as he brings a message. From the scriptures I just read, it feels like it's going to be a heavier message, God, and we just ask that you would just be on our hearts, um, prepare our souls for the message that's coming. God, we just um, we thank you that we're here just screaming for you, Lord. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Man, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. It's good to be here with you guys. So many exciting things happening. Somebody's getting baptized today, I think. That's exciting. Um, Peyton getting baptized right after this. So, man, it's a chance for us to really dive into the Word of the Lord today. And, um, you know, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. This is our, our second week in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you remember last week, we all talked about what it meant to be blessed, what it meant to be blessed in the Lord. And we had things like being poor in spirit and, and being able to mourn and having the comfort of the Lord. We talked about things um, like being pure in heart, being a peacemaker, being meek. And, and don't you like to be around people that are like that? People that are pure in heart, people that are meek, we like to be around them. The question Jesus is asking us is, do you want to be that person? Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be meek and and pure in heart and poor in spirit? And so today he's going to press a little bit harder on that button because he's say, and I think Jonathan did a great job, the Jesus way is narrow. And the Jesus way that we're going to dive in today, it could be challenging. I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not going to apologize for what the Bible says, right? What the Bible says is truth, and you're going to hear it tons of times through today. He's going to say, you have heard it said of old, but I say to you. You've heard this rule, but I'm going to tell you something deeper, something better, something more rich for you to live by, all right? So we pick up here um, in chapter Five, and we pick up with this idea of the law. Look what it says in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, unless heaven or until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota. Not, by the way, cool word, right? Iota. This is a cool word, right? Iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. That Jesus Christ, in coming to the world, he fulfilled all of the law and the prophets. Meaning that he was the perfect teacher of the moral laws and the prophets. Who taught better than Jesus? I mean, even those outside of this, these walls, even people in the world would say, man, the golden rule, Jesus taught things that were really rich and really beautiful. We don't believe he's the Messiah, but what he taught was a beautiful thing. Even the world recognized that. 
And what else did he fulfill? He fulfilled the law and the prophets, the words that the prophets spoke to us saying, look for this one that's going to come, born of a virgin, all the clear evidences that we've seen so far, Jesus fulfilled them, right? He fulfilled the moral law, right? He said this is the perfect law, and yet he was tempted in every way we were, but without sin. So he was the fulfillment of, here's the standard by which no one can reach, but Jesus surpassed it. Right? And then even at that point, right, Jesus fulfilled the penalty of the law. That this penalty was the shedding of blood, that death, the wage of sin is death. And Jesus Christ became the propitiation, the perfect atonement, the sacrifice, one sacrifice for all mankind. Jesus came to fulfill the law. The Old Testament, it's all about him. It all points forward. Look for this one. Look for this person. And here came Jesus, right? So he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And then he says this in verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And I hope you hear this today. We have a responsibility to teach this to our children. We have a responsibility to teach the word, to teach the way that God wants us to live to our children. That's our responsibility. It's no one else's. Don't, don't outsource that to someone else. We have a responsibility as parents, as friends, as neighbors to teach the law of God, to teach God's expectations to our children. Listen, if you have younger kids, like beautiful kids like up front, if you have one, uh, little kids, please make the most of your time. Because before you know it, they're all grown up. They're in Thailand on mission trips with a great guy that wants to marry her someday, right? They're, they're in Houston with another tall guy, right? They're, they're all over the place. Before you know it, like they're gone. Like, oh, got to call them on the phone. I got to FaceTime around the world. Take advantage of the time you have with them. I know it's hard. We had four in five years, okay? Not, not we. I mean, I, I take some, I don't have a whole lot of credit. Tara, right? She, she had four and five years. But we had these little kids all around. And there was times that I came home from work and I didn't realize that being home was my first job. Right? Being with my family is my number one job. I just go work other places to make money, right? That we have an opportunity to pour into our children. And what Jesus teaches us here is that this is an important responsibility. And he's actually pulling that from Deuteronomy. If you go back to Deuteronomy, Chapter 6, right, starting in verse 4, we have this, what's called the Shema, right? This, this is an incredible verse that the Jewish people hold on to very tightly. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Right? Remember, Jesus says this is the greatest commandment, right? It says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. But they don't just stay on our hearts. It says, then you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them, and you shall sit at your house when you sit at your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. That when you're walking around the world, you're talking about the love of Jesus. When you meet someone in H-E-B, you bring up a conversation about Jesus. When, you, when you're at the soccer game, watching the, the mass of humanity run after one ball, all together in one clump, right? And they all fall down, and the whole clump, it's awesome, Right? You're, you bring up Jesus, right? When you're in those phases of life that you're this representation of Jesus, right? And if we're not, if we relax, if we don't stand up and speak up for what God wants for us, he says this, I think it's in Mark chapter 9, verse 4-2, he says, For those of you that lead my children astray, 
It's better that a millstone were thrown around your neck and you're thrown into the sea. Woo! That is strong language. And guys, you're going to see some strong language because Jesus takes these things very serious. Remember, these are the words of Jesus. I'm, I'm going to just try not to get too much in the way today because Jesus is telling us, listen, you need to teach them diligently to your children. You need to bring these words. Be a good teacher of the law. And then he says this, and I'm, this line would have baffled them, okay? It says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. They would have been like, what? What? How is that possible? How could our righteousness be better than the Pharisees? They literally went to H-E-B, came home, and took out a tenth of the salt and pepper to bring to the church. Don't do that. Right, we don't need dill here, okay? But I'm saying, like, they were so serious about the law that every little grain they would count out to make sure they got exactly what God commanded. How could anyone's righteousness surpass that? In fact, you see this story um, in Matthew 19, which of the rich young ruler, right? And he comes to Jesus, and, and he's asking, how can I, I get eternal life? Uh, good teacher, who, how, what makes you think I'm good? Anyway, an interesting thing happening, right? He says, oh, You've done all these laws. Go sell everything you own and come follow me. And he goes away sad because he had a lot of stuff. And he wasn't poor in spirit. He was caught up in the things that he had, right? And the Pharisees were like, what? The disciples looked around like, what? If this guy can't be saved because he's obviously been blessed by God because they thought if you're rich, you had to be blessed by God. They said, if he can't be saved, who can be saved? Remember what Jesus said? It's easier to put a camel through the eye of a needle. And guys, listen, we're so silly. We like want to make a way. We're like, oh, but where's maybe the needle gate and the camel could get on his knees. No, the point was the biggest thing you could think of trying to go through the smallest thing you could think of. It's impossible. Because remember, he said, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Do we believe it? With God, all things are possible. And that's what he's pointing them. All the, how can our righteousness be greater than those that follow the very little small letters of the law. Well, let me give you an example from Paul's life. All right, go to Philippians uh, chapter 3. And Paul begins to give us kind of a glimpse into um, this idea. Here's what Paul says to them, okay? says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul talking, right? says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. To be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. That is what it means to be poor in spirit. That's what it means. I, regardless of my gifts, my talents, because remember, all of our gifts and all of our talents and all of our good things, where do they come from? They come from the Lord. So for me, I'm nothing. I just want to gain Christ. I'll give it all up. That's what Paul's saying. I, I was a persecutor of the church. I oversaw people killing Stephen in the street for this cause. I'm so passionate about it. But all that I lay aside just so I can gain Christ. 
just so I can know him, have a glimpse of him, is that our heart. Is our heart so desperate for God that it doesn't matter anything that's happening around the world. We're just desperate for him. That, that's what he's calling us to in this, that our righteousness has to surpass that of Pharisees because it's not ours. It's Christ imputed upon us, right? So he's going to tell us how we can live that way. He's going to give us some challenges in how to see the world different because we have this identity now in Christ, poor in spirit, blessed and be able to mourn, meekness, pure of heart. We have this new foundation. How do we build upon it? How do we build? He's going to reprogram our mind to think differently. So I want to do a little test for you before we get in, right? School teacher, you got to do that like little pre-test, right? This is a little game we're going to call Proverb or Not, okay? So I'm going to put a, a, a saying on the screen, and you got to give me like the thumbs down, or you can just give me a groan if it's not, or, or a thumbs up, right, of whether this is a proverb or not a proverb, okay? All right, here, here's the first one, okay? God helps those who help themselves, uh, oh, yeah, I got, I got the groan over there. That was awesome, right? Yeah, that's from Second Opinions, chapter 4, okay? <laughs> so, by the way, there's not, a, there's not a Bible for Second Opinions, right? There's a lot of First Opinions, right? But the Second Opinions is not. Okay, all right, what about this one? An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Thumbs up. Uh, yes, Proverbs 12. Wives, give them like, yeah, baby, your crown, right? Yeah, you, yeah. Now, don't read the rest of the verse because, like, those who bring shame are, like, rottenness to the bones. Well, skip that part. We're the crown, right? Why is you're the crown, right? That's, that's amazing. I, I know I have an amazing crown, right? I have an amazing wife who does. I, I love her to death, right? So beautiful verse, proverb, right? Here's the next one. You've heard it said that sanitation doesn't matter, but cleanliness is next to godliness. What do you think? Give me a vote. Some of you are not sure. Like, yeah, I phrased it pretty good. I tried to make it sound proverby, didn't I? No, this is Grandma 101, okay? <laughs> grandma 101, right? How many of us have heard this? Cleanliness next to godliness? Oh, yeah, all the time, because I, I probably still need to hear that, right? Because I'm still not that clean. But anyway, um, right? what about this one? If God closes a door, he'll open another, or a giant window, all right? Yeah, yeah. This is hesitations, too, right? <laughs> doesn't, that sound, doesn't that sound like it should be a book of the Bible? Right after lamentations, it's hesitations, right? <laughs> About like patience and all. It's not, okay? It's not, but it, would, it sounds like it should be in there, okay? What about this last one? The way of a fool is right in his eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Yeah, right? We, we, like, we know this in the Bible, but do we really like this verse? Come on now. I mean, let's say, I, Eric, I give you permission to give me advice, okay? That's scary. Isn't it? Isn't that scary? You're like, I kind of like the way I'm doing things. I don't want someone to tell me I'm not doing it right, right? A fool thinks everything he's doing is perfect, right? The wise surround himself with wise counsel to be able to say, hey, slow down, buddy. We don't need to go that way as well. That's why we have a church that's led by elders, not led by me, praise the Lord, right? Because you got to have some wise people around to be able to give wisdom in those discussions, right? So when we look at these things, right, when we start looking at it, you're going to hear these things. It was once said this, and now we're going to dive into what Jesus' way is, all right? So let's dive in because it gets deep real quick. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will, will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, which is the word raka, right? Like raka, right? You fool will be liable to the hell 
of fire. Woo! The low standard, don't murder anyone today. Don't murder anyone, okay? The church is saying, don't murder. But the Jesus' standard is, don't hate. Don't let your anger get the best of you. Don't let insults and contempt be a part of your life. Control your anger. Remember, we talked about blessed are those who mourn. It's okay to have feelings. What do we do with them? Right? When that anger wells up, do we control it? Do we take the fire and keep it in its proper spot instead of letting it just run all over our life and burn whoever happens to be around us? Right? In fact, he's going to tell us how to overcome that anger in these next few verses. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Woo! You know how serious this is? He's saying that if somebody over here is sitting over here because the other person's sitting over there, he says, get up. Get up right now. Go over there and talk to them and say, hey, will you forgive me? Like, I have this against you. That's how serious. Interrupting the offering, interrupt the church service in order to get right with your brother. Because what happens so many times is people try to hide behind religious activity to make up for the bad things that happen at home or bad things that happen in their life. And they have this scale in their mind like, ooh, I did something bad. I need to do a couple good things to offset it. That's, that's the scale of the world. What Jesus is saying, like, you need to go to your brother or your sister if you have something against them. And right now, I mean, you have my permission right now to get up. Go over there and say, like, Jude, and I have this against you. Wouldn't that be wrong? If, if, I, if I had hatred in my heart towards Jude, which I don't, I love you, brother, right? But if I had hatred in my heart, would you want me to preach a sermon? Like, if I had hatred in my heart towards him, or would it be better for me to stop the sermon and go down and get right with my brother before I come tell you more about God's word? How, how, why would we not all want the same? If we're going to be the church of God, we can't hold grudges or hold things against other people. We've got to extend that forgiveness, that grace. We've got to get right with one another. And it says to do it quickly. It tells us here, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to the court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny." says, hey, get right with one another. Don't wait on the world out there to tell us we need to get right. Reconcile quickly. If we want to be the people of God, in fact, we sang about in a second in that way song, if we want to put on the name tag that says Jesus, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, if we want to be that, how can we hold grudges against each other? How can I hate the people around me? How can I let anger? Is a Jesus follower the kind of person that has a fuse hanging out the back just waiting to get lit by somebody? Right, fuse gets lit, and you're like, everybody's like, tick, 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 here, here they come, right? Everybody's like, whoa, whoa, do you know that's a, no, no, ignore it, and then boom, we, we explode. I, I understand this because I've struggled with anger before, right? I was a football coach. I was a football, I mean, it brings out the emotions in you sometimes, right? And I would feel that thing ticking, I'd be like, no, Jesus, cut, cut the fuse, stop already, right? Be better just remove the fuse, be set free from that. So instead of anger, instead of hatred, insult, or contempt for other people, we're called, right, to love them, to put these things aside quickly. All right, look what he says next. This is Jesus' way. Right? We don't hold on to anger. We get right with one another. Look what he says next. He says, you have heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body goes into hell. Woo, that got deep real quick. Right? The idea is this, that the lowest standard is don't commit adultery with someone. That when you're married and you've made this covenant relationship together, don't, don't, don't go astray in there. But Jesus' higher standard is don't lust. Don't let there even be a hint of sexual morality in your life. And if Jesus was talking today, here's what he would say, right? You need to stop watching pornography. He says you need to make sure that what you see on your phones and on your computers and these things, that every intent of your heart and your eyes is for the Lord, that you're not letting yourself dive down this pit that is called pornography. Do you realize that pornography is an epidemic in our world? In fact, let me ask you this question. Do you think that our church has a porn problem, porn addiction problem? I would say yes, because I think every church has a problem with pornography. When you begin to look at the statistics and you begin to look at the things that the world is starting to to open their eyes to, even the world has opened their eyes to the destruction that pornography is brought about. I want you to look at this graphic because it tells you some of of the story. This is from Covenant Eyes, which is a, a great app that helps guard you against your phone. You have allies for accountability in there. Um, and if you need this app, you talk to me afterwards, we'll get it figured out for you. Um, but listen to some of these stats. Do you realize that 51, one in two children before the age of 12 for boys and one-third, one out of three girls, have seen pornographic images before age 12? Before age 12. By a friend with a smartphone or their own smartphone. That age is getting younger and younger and younger because more and more are getting devices younger and younger. Listen, please, put something on your phone. Please don't let your kids have phones too early. Don't awaken those things in them before it's time, right? Find resources for your kids to protect them from the things that the world is trying to get a grip on them. I remember still the day that I saw it with my friend in a magazine because we didn't have the internet back in the day. And it, it gets a grip on our hearts and our souls. Teens, it's an epidemic, Teenagers today, and this number says 55.4%. I'm just telling you from my experience being a youth pastor for 27 years, that number is way too low. Way too low. And I used to think, oh, man, this is just a high school boy problem. They're just the only ones who are struggling with this, but it's not. Because it's, it's, it's creeped into the life of our college students. It's creeped into the life of men and women in the church. It's everywhere. And it becomes this destructive force in our life. In fact, um, as they begin to study this more and more because it's affecting the world out there, not just the church, because listen, it's not just an out there problem. Look at this final stat. 50% of men in the church have viewed pornography, right? But what it's done is it's changed our brain chemistry, that it's as destructive as a drug. I understand it doesn't feel like it, It feels like this kind of victimless thing. It feels like this kind of secret, isolated thing, but it actually has the effect on our brain the same as heroin. Have you thought about that? That pornography? If you had a friend who was stuck on heroin, would you want to help them? Would you want to help them detox and get out of that? Do you realize that pornography is just as destructive to the chemistry of our brain as heroin? And the more that we look at porn the more we want to be in the presence of Jesus. The the more we watch porn, the less we want to serve in the church. The more we watch porn, the more likely your marriage is to end in divorce. It's an epidemic of just monumental 
proportions, and yet not many people talk about it. Because see, what, what pornography does is it carves a lane in your brain. Whenever your lie or your trigger, whatever, whatever is, is your heart is hurting by, when that gets pushed, you begin to carve a way to some sort of comfort, either a comfort in the Lord, right? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Or that lie triggers you into another path. And what happens is we take the machete and we carve through the jungle and we find pornography at the end of it, Right? But then the next time, we kind of know the way. It's a little bit more clear, and we, we carve our way through it, and that becomes a little path. But then as we keep carving, it becomes a bigger path, and it becomes a wide way that leads to destruction. And every time that our lie is triggered, and it doesn't matter whether you get married, it doesn't matter uh, whether you have a great life, sex life at home with your, your family, your, not family, your wife, um, your, your mind automatically goes to that. The only way to be set free is accountability. I could give you some great resources to be set free, but ultimately, you aren't going to be set free unless the truth comes to the light. Unless you talk to someone about it and they can walk alongside you through this journey. Because if not, it's going to lead to destruction, isolation, stress, anxiety, deception. We're constantly trying to cover it up. Do you want to live that kind of life? Or do you want a life of freedom with Jesus? How serious does Jesus take this? He says, get a fork, man. Gouge that eye out. Don't do that. Okay? Don't go home and gouge your eye out. Talk to someone. Get help for this thing. Be set free from this thing. This is Jesus' word. It's better for you to cut off your hand than it is to do things. And what's, what's so destructive about pornography, I'm sorry, on the soapbox real quick, is that it's taken sex and it's turned it into something that's selfish. Is that what sex is supposed to be? Or is it supposed to be this beautiful gift of God designed for the covenant relationship of marriage so that a man and woman can grow in intimacy and love for one another? And here the enemy comes and hijacks it. He makes it selfish. He makes it all about you when it's all supposed to be about your spouse, the person that you love and have committed your life to, to bring you into a place of love and intimacy. What God designed for good, the enemy is trying to destroy. Let's not let him. If you're involved in that destructive lifestyle, tell someone. Tell me. Email me, chris at fspc.com. Tell one of our pastors. Get serious about overcoming your sin. Don't go cut your arm off. Tell us. We, we will help you. We'll walk through this journey uh, together. All right, anyway, we'll keep going. He says this next in verse 31. It also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That what he's saying is that marriage is supposed to be held in a high honor. And the marriage bed is supposed to be something that's sacred. That the lowest standard is, man, when I get tired, when our marriage is hard, I'm out. Check out early, right? And get out of my marriage for any reason. When actuality Jesus wants us to work through this redemptive process together. Right now, he does give us three kind of areas that divorce is okay. In sexual morality, which is the one that he gives us here. 1 Corinthians 7, he talks about if you are a believer and you're married to a non-believer and that non-believer leaves, that you're released from that. He also says in the case of abuse, that if you're in an abusive relationship to get out, Get out of that relationship first, and then we'll help solve some of the issues in there. But if you're in an abusive relationship, you don't have to take it. When it says turn the other cheek, it's not talking about that situation. 
Get out. Tell someone about it. Have you noticed that a lot of this is like, get accountability. Tell someone so we can walk alongside you in this process, okay? Look what he says next in verse 33. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. You shall perform, you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let, or let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And the idea is this. They used to make oaths and promises like, man, Ahmad, I promise I'll meet you at that restaurant. I promise if I don't show up, you can have my car. Okay? That's a pretty strong promise, right? right? If I were to say, Ahmad, I, I promise I'll meet you there. If, if not, you can have my cough drop. Less of a strong promise. Right? And what he's saying is like making oaths to heaven or oaths upon different things, that's nothing. In other words, be the kind of person that your yes means yes. That if I say, hey, Maude, I'll meet you at that restaurant, that he's like, I know Chris is going to meet me there. He doesn't have to call. He doesn't have to check up on me. He doesn't have to go, hey, are we still good for lunch? He knows that where we, we're going to meet, we're going to meet. Right? That's what he says. If you want to be a man or woman of God, that when you say yes to something, it means yes. Isn't that, a good, isn't that the person you want to be around? That when Jaden says, yes, I'll take care of them, I'm like, Phew, that's done. I can go on to my next thing, right? Be the kind of person that you don't have to add on to your yes. And by the way, I give you permission to say no. It says that your yes or your no. Don't, don't make promises you can't keep. That means sometimes you have to say, no, I don't think I can meet you there. No, I don't think I can do that right now. Let's reschedule to this time, right? So let your yes be yes and your no be no. But don't, don't, you know, if you have to add something onto it, your character isn't bearing the weight. Make sense? Be blameless. Be before the Lord that what you say, you follow through on. Okay? Then he says this next. Ooh, this one's tough. All right. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic... Let him have your cloak as well. If anyone um, forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I should have used this one. Go the extra mile. Like it's right here. Go the extra mile. This is actually, and the Roman soldiers had the right to tell the Jewish people, if they were tired of carrying their armor, Austin, you got to carry this for me. And Austin, being a good Jewish man, he was required by the law to carry it for one mile, but not more than a mile. And what this says, Jesus says, like, if he says you to carry one, carry it two. And while you're on the way, talk about Jesus. Like, think about Paul. Remember how Paul was imprisoned? And you think, oh, poor Paul. But here comes these soldiers getting chained to Paul. How many of those soldiers came to know Jesus? Sitting with Paul every day? What do you think Paul is telling them? Oh, hey, let me tell you something I'm writing down. I'm writing a letter to Philippi real quick. And, man, we could either view our situation through the eyes of the Lord. Do you go the extra mile? Now, this is hard. What if people really, you know, they verbally hit you? Does that mean you have to take it and turn the other cheek? Yeah. Does what people say about you define you? Think about it. Do what people say about you does that define who you are? Or does God, the creator of your soul, define who you are? When you learn this, when you learn that Jesus Christ defines you, what, what can people say about you? 
What, can, what, what, what fun can they make of you? What comments can they make of you? I know who I am in the Lord. I'm poor in spirit. I'm pure of heart. I'm ready to mourn. See, we're able to, when we aren't holding on so tightly to the things of this world, we're able to, to give, to borrow, to have your house be a house that's open with hospitality. That, that when people want to come down and spend the night, you're like, come on, even when they have six kids. Happened to me in the next month, right? Daniel Kirch is coming down to visit. And they, they keep having kids, right? They got like six kids. Like, come on, let's go. It sounds like fun. It's going to be a fun, loud house for a few days, right? But no, it's not. My house is not mine. My stuff's not mine. My truck's not mine. What is mine? The Lord, every good and perfect gift comes from above. All of it is the Lord. See the freedom of that mindset? The freedom. The, there's no worry. There's no stress because all of it is the Lord's. And if we can do that, look what he says we can do next. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Woo! Do you love your enemies? For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you... If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Whew. If we want to have name tag Jesus on, we have to greet and love the people that we don't know, even our enemies. That when people speak bad about you, you don't return the eye for an eye or tooth for tooth. You bless them. You live at peace with all people as far as it's concerned with you. Like, for example, today when you came in, did you greet some people that you didn't know for the joy of the Lord, right? Are we a friendly church? Or are we like, oh, man, I got my seat. I got, I got my seat. Uh, uh, what? Why are you in my seat? Wait, wait, why are you all in my seat, right? Do we have this kind of mentality of ownership? Or do we have like a, oh, you're in my seat. So good to see you, right? We have this feeling of openness and, and greeting one another. Because if we're really going to be different, we aren't just friends with the people that are friendly to us, right? We show that love to all people, right? Look what he says next in chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before the people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. Woo! And that was when you give. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine like Alan's in the back? He's by the offering box. He's like, hey guys, look, I'm giving money to the church. It's a big number. Everybody look. Do -do -do, right? Do -do, put it. Or have you ever been in the, one of those churches where they pass plates around, right? Okay, this is pastor confession time, okay? Anybody done the fake drop? <laughs> you know what I mean, right? You're like, you're like, oh, let me find that. You're like, right? You just pass it along. And like, they're looking at it. It's still empty, right? Or if you like really feel like I have that guilt, I'm like dropping a piece of gum or a cough drop in there. Just, I have 10 in my pocket, Lord. I'm giving you a 10th, right? We just kind of have this mentality somewhere. Like, that's why I love this about our church, right? People don't even know where the offering boxes are half the time at our church, right? Because ultimately, God's our provider. Now, listen. Thank you for giving to the church. You guys are amazing. Our church has made budget, I think, every year for, since we've been to church pretty much. But, man, we don't, we don't highlight that because, again, God is our provider. 
He provides through you, right? Which praise the Lord for that. I'm so thankful. But I have no idea if you give or not. I don't know anything about what anybody gives in our church. Zero, because it doesn't matter. God's our provider. You see, there's a blessing to us being able to give. Have you thought about that? That if we, if we bless the Lord with the things that we give, because where do those things come from? They come from the Lord. It's just such a blessing to be able to give to the Lord. You're missing the blessing if you're not giving. Like I, I just tell you from my own personal life testimony, I've been given four cars in my life, right? Two of them I didn't need, so I just passed them on to the next person that I know had need in my life, right? I was riding a bike to school, right? Church member like saw me riding the bike, like, why are you riding your bike? Oh, my blew a piston. It's okay, you know. I'm, I was teaching school back then. And we didn't have the money for it. We'll, we'll save up eventually. I need to get in shape, you know, whatever. And someone's like, oh, we have an extra car and just blessed us with it. Praise the Lord. God provides. The thing is, when we give to the Lord, he doesn't always make us rich. Because look what happened to the rich young ruler, right? That when we give to the Lord, he makes us content. Have you ever thought about how much money you would save if you were just content? You didn't need the new this. You didn't need more of that. See, God gives us the ability to worship him through our giving just because he's so good to us in that way. And that's what he's saying here. We don't need to let everybody know what we're doing all the time. See, in fact, he says this, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That if you want to truly be like the Lord, you just, you just almost give like mystery numbers. I don't know how that would be. That would be kind of weird getting a random number to give each month. But he's saying, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Because when you give in front of everybody, and this might be why you never see us posting on social media things that we give to the community. We just don't. We don't want a reward from people in the community. We want to bless the Lord, right? This is another reason why if you ever see me write Fellowship Church Plum Creek on something, it's like lower cases because like, God gets the uppercase letters, right? Fellowship Church, we're just dying. We're just that, right? It's just this mindset that we have that everything that we have is the Lord's. How much do we have that mindset? How content are we with the Lord? How tightly do we hold on to things? Our anger, our lust, our retaliation, our contempt, our, our, our stuff. Are we holding on to those things or are we like Jesus and lay it all down? I mean, think about this. Remember we talked about loving your enemies and praying for them. What a better example than Jesus, who on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Who had the ability to call down angels from heaven and kill everyone. Had the ability to say, your heart stop, and boom, they're done. Yet he was silent before his accusers. And he died as that sacrifice for all time. Man, who better to teach us than the one who lived this out? To the full. So that's our encouragement. Let's try to live to the full. Let's not be enslaved to pornography or to anger or these things anymore. Let's be set free in him. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and just the challenge of what it means to live Jesus's way. To not hold on to things, but Lord, to let him go for you. Let, Lord, help us let go of our anger and our lust and, and the things of the world, our hatred towards others, Lord, and help us to love one another just as you have loved them. Lord, to forgive just as you've forgiven us. Lord, thank you for your perfect example. So to help us to follow it each and every day this week, Lord. We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Hey, church, thank you so much for being here today. Um, just on behalf of myself and the other pastors, we want you to know we love you, um, that we're here for you, that if anything said today, if you're struggling with it, if you need prayer, if you need support, we are, we are here for you. 
Um, so just let us know any way that we can serve you and love you better. Uh, we have a few things that we want you to know about before we dismiss you. The first thing is this. Uh, coming up on September 30th, that's a Saturday, we're having our marriage tune-up, kind of a, a, a mini-conference, if you will, where we're going to invite you to come and join us here. We're going to feed you lunch. That's going to go from 9 a.m. till about 2 p.m. on that Saturday. The cost for that is $25 per couple. That $25 will cover both of you, um, and it's going to be a great time. We, we encourage you to join us. It's going to be great. Um, we're really, really excited about that, and so you can sign up for that online. If you have any questions about that, though, come ask any one of us, and we'd be happy to get you filled in on that. The la next thing is this, True Choice. This is the last day that you can bring donations for the True Choice um, ministry that we kind of help out with. There's a table outside, and there's QR codes that you can scan to see some of their needs on Amazon. If you brought anything to donate, you can drop donations off at that table. But we love this ministry. We love True Choice. We love the work that they're doing in the community. And so if you'd like to donate and help support that, that's outside um, at the table in the lobby. We encourage you to help out with that. And the last thing is this. Where, where's Peyton at? Where's Peyton? There she is. There's Peyton. Peyton is getting baptized immediately after this. Yep. We are so excited and so proud of her. And so after this service, we encourage you to join us outside uh, and where we're going to celebrate what the Lord has done in Peyton's life as she proclaims to the world what, who Jesus is to her. And so we're, we're very excited. So join us outside for that. It's going to be great. And I want to leave you with this. Matthew 5.8 says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Church, I pray you see God this week. We love you. You're dismissed.